You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Withholding cash from school dodgers, an app to detect autism, and census night is coming. Hello and welcome to Talking Eds, APN Educational Media's weekly review podcast. This is episode seven. And I'm joined now by Lauren Smith from Early Learning Review. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Patrick. And from Education Review and Campus Review, filling in for James Wells while he's rocking the Casbah in Morocco, it's Wesley Kington, back for a second episode. Hi, Wesley. Oh, hi, Patrick. Please be pleased to be back here for a second week. It's great. Did, did you enjoy last one? I did. I did, yes. Um, some interesting moments uh, during the podcast, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed my time. So... Glad to Excellent. be back here. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you, you're back. The, uh, I was terrified this morning when we came in that you'd refuse to take part. But uh, glad to have you. Why would I refuse? <laughs> Lauren, part one, we're talking about withholding cash from school dodgers, and this is an idea that came to us from millionaire mining magnate Andrew Twiggy Forrest. Tell us more. So Andrew Forrest, or I'll just call him Twiggy because that's how he likes to refer to himself has come up with an idea called No School, No Pay, referencing the No Jab, No Pay initiative. So it works in a similar fashion in that if people don't send their kids to school, they don't get certain social service payments. Um, and he's kind of justified it using that reasoning. And I'll quote something that he, that he said in the news, and that was, if you don't immunise your child, your child has a distinct chance of being okay. But if you don't educate your child, if you don't send your child to school, particularly if your child is a daughter, you're allowing her to be set adrift in a sea of uncertainty, a sea of vulnerability. And that sounds extreme, but I think he's got a point. Um, He's actually called these people who allow um, largely Indigenous children to not attend school as um, perpetrating soft racism because the expectations set on these Indigenous kids are much lower than those of non-Indigenous kids. So um, we've got a response here from the Secretariat of National Aboriginal and Islander Childcare called SNAKE, that's the acronym. Quite fitting for an Indigenous organisation, I suppose. Just that, might, that might be one of those famous backronyms, Lauren, where you come, up with the, <laughs> you come up with the word that you want the acronym to be and then you, then you make up its meaning afterwards. It, it could well be. We'll never know. We can always ask them. And what did Snake have to say? So Jerry Moore, who is their chief executive, said that um, this is a punishing policy and these types of policies that as he says, punish Indigenous people, create more harm than good. Um, Instead, we should be looking at the underlying causes that Indigenous kids aren't attending schools, such as poverty, and lack of comprehension and trust in the education system. Um, But then Andrew Forrest, Twiggy, I should say, um, has defended his position in saying that um, his previous proposal, which was Um, a healthy welfare card which was a similar kind of proposition whereby um, largely indigenous people again were were given their welfare payments in the form of a um, debit card instead of cash to prevent them spending money on things like alcohol, drugs and gambling has been successful. So now he wants to apply a similar kind of rationale to schooling. Um, It's unclear whether this um, latest proposal will be adopted by the government, but Twiggy seems pretty positive about it. Yeah, I thought it was a very interesting story and a very interesting proposal from Twiggy. 
And while sort of the idea of, until you used a lot of coded language, and it's great that it's been broken down and become you know, really obvious that he, he is referring to areas that have large, but not exclusively indigenous populations. And it, the, one of the figures that he quotes there was that if you look at the, he compares the Darwin school attendance rate to the Canberra school attendance rate. So the two capital cities of our two territories and Canberra's is 95% and Darwin's is 72%. And obviously Darwin is not an exclusively indigenous center, but it, it is a largely indigenous center. And I do think that there is unease about ever having rules or procedures that you know, affect one group of people based on their skin color. But I also think at the same time that if this is something that could have a long-term benefit without a huge amount of harm, that perhaps it's worth doing in some sort of test case scenario. And I know that in the Northern Territory, they have trialed alcohol-free areas, which to some extent have worked quite well. And I think this is another, another um, idea that at the very least would be worth exploring in you know, uh, a test center just to see if there is an uptake in school because Twiggy is right, and we are an edu pro-education podcast. Education can be a silver bullet to, to lift people out of uh, inequality. I think it's quite interesting that Jerry Moore, uh, who's the SNAICC uh, representative. Snake. Snake, sorry. <laughs> That's a way to refer to it. He uses the word punish, but for me, I mean, and f just from gathering what uh, Forrest had to say, it's sort of aimed at making parents and carers more accountable rather than punishing families in that regard. Uh, what do you all think? I think as well we have to keep in mind Twiggy's background and his Mindaroo Foundation, for instance, which is all about uh, assisting Indigenous people um, by lifting them out of disadvantage by employing them, for instance. He was raised in the Pilbara in Western Australia amongst Aboriginal kids and he's always been a huge supporter of Indigenous communities. So he's not coming from a place of trying to punish these people. I think he genuinely wants to help them and feels the need to help them. In part two, Wesley, we're going to, look at it, to discuss a story that you had this week, and it's regarding an iPhone app that recently won an award that was developed by some Latrobe researchers, and it's to help parents diagnosed autism in primary school aged kids. Tell us more. Yeah, so basically it's a new app that's been developed following um, research and development that started uh, about a decade ago, um, roughly 2006, when La Trobe University uh, began to look into the issue and think about what they could do to, you know, change or, or basically con conduct a study that would lead to the development of something that uh, could could possibly serve as a an early detection tool for um, the uh, the uh, diagnosis of uh, early onset autism. So basically, it's called AS Detect, not AS Detect, but AS Detect, and it's been researched and had data collected by uh, La Trobe University's Olga Tennyson Autism Research Centre or OTARC, and then they basically uh, handed all their figures and stats to. Uh, to Salesforce, to the uh, philanthropic arm of Salesforce, uh, who uh, essentially made it happen for them. Um, they, they officially had everything, ha had all the papers ready 
um, like statistics studies and everything ready by uh, f February 2005 and uh, Salesforce really came behind them uh, backed them up and said all right we, we thoroughly believe in what you're doing here and um, we think that this have a bright future for families uh, who who just want some sort of uh, an indicator that they that they should look into getting early intervention for their children uh, much much earlier than say the health system can offer. And how does the app actually work? Oh, how, how does it work? So basically, it's it's free and it's um it's you can operate it on uh, on both Android and iOS. So um, there's that usability, and so basically parents. Uh, they download the app, of course, and then they have to register their details on uh, the um, the cloud, the cloud uh, cloud-based support system, and then they're taken through based on the age of their child, um, be it 12 or 18 months old. They are taken through a series of questions. Um, you probably want to know what kind of questions they ask. It's usually, yeah. I said primary school age earlier, yeah. but this, that's you saying 12 to 18 months. This yeah. is actually so much more immediate than that. Oh, but yeah, that, so this is this is what the whole the whole idea behind the app is. It's to give, it's not a diagnostic tool. Like um, when I spoke to the uh, professor at um, OTARC, uh, what's her name, Cheryl Dasanayaki, uh, she actually said that yeah it's not it's not a diagnostic tool it's just merely an indication it's it's a tool to give parents an indication that there are there are signs that their child has uh that their, their child could have autism and so then after they are taken through a series of questions and um the, how how it works is i'll unpack it a little more so the quit the quit they get a question for instance does your child copy your actions such as banging blocks together or combining his or her hair, or sorry, combing his or her hair after you do it. And um, then they're shown a video of what a child without autism um, would do. And then, they, then they're immediately shown a, a video of what a child who doesn't have autism, uh, who, who does have autism would do. And uh, from there, after they've gone through the assessment, uh, the app, sends them an email that says okay this is what you've how you've responded based on your observations of your child and um, you can you can then take this assessment and we're saying based on our research and all the data in this program that there is a chance that your child doesn't or uh, that your child does have autism or uh, he's actually uh, developing he or her, he or she is developing quite normally and then they can then take that email to their GP if they're worried, and uh, they can get into uh, they they can put they get they can get put on the waiting list or, or on a list to get intervention sooner rather than later. Lauren, I know you're as the editor of Early Learning Review, you're you're across autism and, and some of the concerns that parents have. Do you do you feel that this is a tool that can really that really help? I was just thinking, I don't know how much extra value it really adds when you can look at symptoms of autism on the internet. I mean, essentially, that's what this app is giving parents. It's giving them an indication if based on the symptoms of their child, that child might have autism. And 
I just don't really understand how that's so different from the information that's already out there. Well, I guess this is, I guess the, the whole idea is, is it's more accessible and it's like, it's, it's, it's basically like having a booklet laid in front of you. And it sounds as though it's organised as well. It's organised, yeah. The, the symptoms so, and the details exactly, rather, yeah. than, rather than them being sort of on different websites having different ideals or different indicators. Exactly. They put them yeah. all together and they, they can, if, if a child is doing six of nine options, they mm. can put that together and come up with some sort of diagnosis on a percentage level. Sure. Uh, I think that's the... I think that's, that's the what difference. the aim of the, um, the, the app is, was like, yeah, it, it's basically, you know, a, a set of questions, yeah, as I was saying, it's a set of questions that... That, um, that that parents can be taken through and it's just it's uh, simple and straightforward to, for them to, to go through. I've always wondered with, with autism that we hear a lot more about it now than we did 20 years ago and I often wonder whether that is an indicator of autism being more prevalent or whether autism being more diagnosed. It's certainly not more prevalent. Mm. It's more diagnosed because they have altered the diagnostic criteria for autism to make them a lot broader. So more children, more adults are caught by the criteria than they used to be. And because autism is a spectrum, of course there are huge variances between severe autism and mild autism. So you could have a person with mild autism and you wouldn't even know that they have it. That's a salient point, a salient point and um, uh, a good point in the uh, ongoing discussion. In part three today on Talking Eds, it's the census and the 2006 census night. Don't these five years come around quickly? Uh, you are inordinately excited by this, I am, you? I am. The uh, 9 August is census night. It's a Tuesday night. It's always Tuesday for census night. It dates back to 1828 when the colony of New South Wales had its first census. And... Uh, the, the reason we're talking about it on an education podcast is because the ABS is going out of their way this year to make sure that univer the university politic, the university uh, population, knows that every single person in Australia on census night, including visiting international students, are to be included. And I spoke to Karuna Grang, who is the, ABC, uh, the ABS Special Audience Communications Manager, and this is what she said. And uh, this is verbatim, by the way. Census is super important, and its data is used to allocate billions of dollars of funding for communities. Apt for the youth audience this time, the census is going digital first, meaning we'll save tons of paper and around $100 million. We'll also have a sweet microsite called hashtag MyCensus, where people can share photos of what's important to them with the rest of Australia. This site will go live on 26 July. So the language is there. There's definitely a targeting of young people. And the point that the ABS is trying to make is that if you are an international student, you are going to be included in the census. If you are a visiting academic that is uh, staying at, on university accommodation or at a hotel, you ought to be included in the census that day. If you're uh, in Canberra as an intern at the, at the, uh, with, the, the, with the parliament, then you are to be counted in the census. And they're really going to be hitting up all the universities in Australia with marketing material and posters to really drum in that point that they want to go around to all the international student accommodation and make sure that a lot of students who might actually be disengaged from Australianness because they're so focused on their studies are still included in the census. Guys, are you really excited for the census, <laughs> Zion? Not as excited as you are. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> 
And the whole idea of like going electronic and going online, um, I mean, couldn't the same thing be applied to uh, the election? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was while I was researching the story, I was one thinking about how this is almost going to be a bit of a test case. I think if this census works, because it's obviously a huge, unwieldy project, and if they can pull it all together digitally mm. and without privacy leaks, without losing data, without any sort of corruption, I think that that, that push for improved digital elections, especially in the wake of uh, the most recent federal election, which is, you know, we're still counting, that, that push will become very strong. That will go from, you know, a, a nudge to a real shove that we go online. I mean, it's interesting, it's interesting that they're actually talking about this whole digital revolution for this kind of thing right now in the advent of, like, you know, uh, researching in general going online, which is, that's like, I just think it's an, it's an, it's an interesting kind of, um, it's, it's interesting that they're just talking about uh, digitising this process right now. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't have this discussion, like, five or six years ago. I think that the... This sort of the idea of doing all these things online, you, it's not just the young people that need to be talking mm. about it. You need to get people in positions of power yeah. talking about it and interested in it. Thank you very much for listening to episode seven of Talking Ed. Wesley, thank you very much for joining us again. Oh, it's been a pleasure being here, mate. Lauren, thank you very much. Thank you, Patrick. Hope you enjoy the weekend. Next time we might have a government. Maybe, if we're lucky. <laughs>